Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a series called Transformed, Not Conformed. In this series, we want to learn to be transformed to the way of Jesus rather than conform to the patterns of this world. Thanks for joining us. We are in a a six-week series to start the year. It's called Transformed, Not Conformed, and we're talking about how to live differently than how we see the world world living living around us. And the verse we base this off of is Romans chapter 12, verse 2. You can see this on the screen this morning. Would you read this with me? It says, do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so if you're following on your notes right out of the gate, transformation begins in the mind. Transformation begins in the mind. Jesus came to save us, and he came to change the way we think. And that thinking leads to behavior and action. And there's three areas we we thought our church family uh, would benefit from hearing from to start the year. The first was healthy rhythms, how we could eliminate hurry from our lives. We live in such a busy world, and there are opportunities for us to stay busy all the time. And we want to be different than that, and we want to be people who simplify and slow down and abide in Christ. And one way we talked about doing that was getting into God's Word. We announced a New Testament Bible reading plan for this year. It it is not too late to get started in that. If you have not started that yet and you want to get started— Don't beat yourself up that it's January 21st. Just start today. And if you want to be part of that, you can go to our website. We have created a blog where you will get an email every week uh, to encourage you. You can see the website uh, address on the screen. You can write that down and get that every week to encourage you to stay part of something bigger that the church is doing this year. But it's one way to simplify and find a rhythm where we can spend time with Christ each day. Last week, we began the second area of focus, and we started talking about relationships, particularly respecting other people. I'm so thankful for Jeff's message. So thankful. I I appreciate the five words he had us say together. He said, show proper respect to, yeah, everyone. Show proper respect to everyone. Such a helpful reminder for me. Such a helpful reminder that I can disagree with people and not devalue them and demonize them for who they are. I can disagree with them without looking down on them. And it was a good reminder I needed to hear because I'm not immune from reacting in anger and looking down on people instead of responding more like Jesus in grace and truth. Show proper respect to everyone because everyone's created in the image of God. You've never met anybody who's not created in the image of God. So show respect to everybody. If you're following in your notes, Jesus came to transform the way we think of and treat people. He came to transform the way we think of and treat people. So today, we're going to continue our conversation and what it means to respect one another by looking at what Jesus accomplished on the cross. 
I had never seen this before or put it together, but in studying for this, it's amazing what Jesus accomplished on the cross and what it means for us to respect one another. So my prayer is that we can step back and when we recognize what Jesus did for us, we will be a people who respect everyone we meet. The scripture we're going to look at is found in the New Testament. It's in the book of Ephesians. So you're going to go past the Gospels. You're going to find Paul's letters, Galatians, Ephesians. We're going to be in chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. If you don't have a Bible with you today, I highly encourage you to take a black Bible from the seat rack in front of you to follow along. This is a, a really... Uh, important, rich, thick text, and I, I, I think you might want to underline some things or circle some things or take some notes in your Bible. Ephesians chapter 2 can be found on page 947 of those black Bibles, page 947. Just to, to set the context for the verses we're going to spend the rest of our time Looking at today, this letter was written by the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest missionaries the, the world has ever known. He wrote a letter to a church in the city of Ephesus. And this church was primarily made up of two people groups, two different backgrounds, Jews and Gentiles. Two people groups. We've talked about this a lot, and many of you know this, but a Gentile is anybody who is not a... Jew. So you have Jewish people and non-Jewish people, just so we are all aware this morning. I, I think probably everybody in this room is a Gentile, unless you have some direct Jewish heritage, but most of us in this room would be Gentiles. And so there's these two groups of people in this church in Ephesus, Jews and Gentiles, and they don't like each other. They've come from a completely different past. There's great contempt for one another, sometimes even hatred from one another. They certainly look down on one another. And so let's pause here. Now we know who is in this church. I want to play, apply some modern-day psychology to what's happening in the church in Ephesus. It's come to be known as in-group and out-group association. In-group, out-group association. If you're following on your notes, Paul was writing to a church with an in-group and an out-group problem. At its most basic level, I want to try to explain this. At its most basic level, an in-group is a social group in which an individual feels he or she belongs. And an out-group is a social group with which an individual doesn't identify. Make sense? tracking. The in-group we associate with becomes an important source of pride and self-esteem, and it gives us a sense of belonging. But however, in an attempt to bolster that sense of belonging, what human beings do is we tend to start belittling and discriminating against and holding prejudices against those in the out-group we don't belong to. We use these binary categories to classify people. Don't get defensive on me if you feel like your blood's starting to boil a little bit right now. Don't get defensive on me. We all do it. We all do it. We all divide the world into good or bad, sometimes explicitly, and it comes out in blatant racism or prejudice, and sometimes implicitly, we just think things, but it does lead to how we act. 
We all do it. And so I'm going to give you some vice versa examples or some examples. These can be vice versa either way. So don't think that I'm just on one side of this. These can be turned around either way. But we divide the world into good or bad, in group, out group. We all do it. Good white people versus bad black people. Good Republicans versus bad Democrats, good conservatives versus bad liberals, good Cardinal fans versus bad Cub fans, good straight people versus bad gay people, good followers of Jesus versus people who don't know yet Jesus yet, good Christians versus bad Muslims, good men, bad women, good older person, bad younger, good stay-at-home mom, bad working mom, good homeschool, bad public school, good natural-born citizen, bad refugee. We all do this. And anytime we find ourselves looking down on another people group or criticizing them, we can be pretty sure that we formed an in-group and out-group association of people. Man, I I took a challenge about a year ago. Um, A lady put something on Twitter that said, would you commit to 24 hours of not criticizing people? I failed when my children got out of bed. (laughs) And I form in-groups and out-groups even there, right? Like I'm better than my kids. I'm better than the dude in front of me in traffic. I'm better than other people at my work. I'm better than other people at the grocery store. It's pervasive. I do this all the time. We do this all the time. And it's plaguing our world today. It's plaguing our country today. It's plaguing our city today. And it has plagued churches and how we have seen and treated people. And if we're not careful, we can be part of the problem. And if we're not careful with this, we can live against the way Jesus wants us to live. If you're following in your notes, living with an in-group, out-group mentality is against the way of Jesus. It is against the way of Jesus. So, this is the church Paul's writing to. In-group, out-group, Jew, Gentile. And Paul is specifically writing to Gentiles, to us, because he was a missionary to the Gentiles. That's who he was called to minister to. So, Paul begins this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. I'll begin reading in verse 11, and then I'll ask you to continue reading with me in the first gray box in your notes in verse 12. Paul says, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. And then read this with me, first grade box in your notes. It says, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. So to address this in-group, out-group problem, if you're following in your notes, Paul wanted the Gentiles to remember who they were before Christ. He wanted them to remember who they were. That's not a bad strategy, right? I mean, I find that any time I start feeling pretty good about myself, it's helpful to remember who I was before Christ and what he did for me. We'll come back to that a little bit later, but it's good to remember. 
And so if you're following in your notes, they were to remember that they were separated from Christ. Gentiles were separated from Christ. Paul highlights a significant difference here between Gentiles and Jews. In Genesis 17, God made a covenant with Abraham and he said, as a sign of this covenant, you will circumcise all your male children. Circumcision was a sign that you were part of the covenant, part of God's people, and if you were not circumcised, you were on the outside. And Paul's reminding the Gentiles here that at one time they were alienated and separate from Christ. The Jews were the chosen people of God, and God chose them to be his special people. In Deuteronomy 14, too, it's very clear. It says, For you are a people, the Jewish nation, holy to the Lord your God. Out of all the peoples on the face of the earth, the Lord has chosen you to be his treasured possession. God chose a people. He set his favor on them, and he set them apart. And we just need to be reminded, Gentiles, we were not part of God's people. We were outsiders. In addition, if you're following in your notes, Gentiles were foreigners to the covenants of the promise. We were foreigners. Being a Jew meant being part of a covenant people. God made unbreakable promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David, promises to bless, prosper, multiply, save, and redeem. He promised a land, a kingdom, a king, and eternal life for those who believed. And let's remind ourselves, Gentiles, we were not included in that. And because we were separated from Christ and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, if you're following in your notes, Gentiles were without hope and without God in the world, if you're following in your notes. We were without hope and without God in the world. In addition, if you want to do a fascinating study, as you read through the New Testament this year, we're still in the Gospels, we're in the first one, Gospel of Matthew. As you read through the Gospels, Pay attention to Jesus' ministry. If you're following in your notes, even Jesus' ministry was focused on the Jews. Pay attention to that. Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, came as a Jew to the Jewish people. In John 4.22, he says, salvation comes from the Jews. And when he sends out his disciples to go do ministry, he tells them to go to the lost sheep of Israel. Pay attention to that. Even Jesus' ministry was focused on Jews, and that's because Gentiles were outsiders and alienated. I want you to hear this, though. This is really important. God chose the Jews to be his special people, but he chose them not only to receive his special blessing, but to pass that blessing on to other people. From the beginning, it was God's plan that all nations would be blessed. He said that to Abraham in Genesis 12. All nations would be blessed. Israel was called to be the vessel to which God would make himself known in the world. They were to live such transformed, distinct lives that other people would see it and want what they had. 
Unfortunately, Israel never fulfilled that calling, and they preferred to condemn the Gentiles rather than witness to them. They became prideful and self-righteous, and pay pay attention here, it became an in-group and an out-group situation where the in-group Jews looked down and disparaged the out-group Gentiles, and the Gentiles just flipped it and looked down on the out-group Jews. And if we aren't careful, now us Gentiles today can do this to countless groups of people if we aren't careful. And so just to underline this, I can't overstate how big of a deal it is that Gentiles are now included. I can't overstate that. All of us here, right, we're Gentiles, and before we trusted Jesus, we were in the same tragic position, alienated from God, without hope, and without God in the world, until Jesus changed everything. And so, this is how he did it. Would you read this with me in the second gray box on your notes? This is the good news. Read it with me. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Great transition word, right? I mean, anytime you see transition words in the Bible, like therefore, also, now, here it's but now, always pay attention. The author wants to make a distinction, and here Paul is saying, you have gone from being alienated to being brought near. Because of the blood of Jesus, Gentiles, we have been brought near to God. Those who trust in Jesus' saving work on the cross are freed from sin. His blood cleanses us and washes away our sin, and the penalty of sin is gone, and those who were once far away are now brought near. If you're following in your notes, because of Jesus' death on the cross, Gentiles are no longer alienated. Because of Jesus' death on the cross, Gentiles are no longer alienated. We are now participants in the covenant, filled with hope, and with God in the world. And what this does for us is it humbles us. And it makes us realize that we depend not on ourselves to be made right with God. We are accepted by God only through the work of Christ on the cross, not through our own work. It humbles us, and it removes any arrogance and any boasting and any looking down on other people. It removes in-groups and out-group mentality. As we continue in verse 14, you can follow along in your Bibles here. We read, for he himself, that's Jesus, for Jesus is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. The blood of Christ brought Gentiles near to God and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall. What Paul's doing here is he's giving us a word picture. In the temple in Jerusalem, we have a picture for you. In the temple in Jerusalem where everybody had to go to worship God, there was a dividing wall that separated the Jews from the Gentiles, and the Gentiles never had access to God because they could never cross this dividing wall of hostility. 
One uh, historian says there were signs spread out on this wall, and one sign read, no foreigner may enter within the barricade which surrounds the sanctuary. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. Paul says Christ has ripped this barrier down by his death, and now Jews and Gentiles alike have access to God. And friends, this is so important for us to understand. It's so important for us to know who we were, that we were alienated, because I'd be willing to bet there's many groups in our world today who feel like outside of many churches there are still walls of hostility built, and they're not welcome. And Jesus tore down the barrier and the wall so that everyone can have access to God. Verse 15 tells us how Jesus destroyed the barrier. I think this is really cool because it gives us an inside look of one of the things that was happening on the cross when Jesus died. Verse 15 says, He destroyed the barrier by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. What we need to know is that Jewish people believe that by keeping the law, keeping the Old Testament, an individual was accepted by God. That's how you were accepted. You earned it. Now, we know the law was only meant to point us to our need for a Savior because we could never keep it, but the Jews did believe they had to keep it perfectly, and they imposed that on the Gentiles who they looked down on. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. You are not accepted by God based on what you do and what rules you follow. Paul is reminding the Jews and Gentiles in the church in Ephesus, the law does not save someone. Yes, when we follow Jesus, our minds are transformed and our actions then look different, but we don't earn being made right with God. This same Paul who wrote the letter to the Ephesians wrote, This to the church in Galatia, a next-door neighboring church. This is a long verse, so I'll just give you a heads up on that. But it paints in great clarity what Paul means that the law does not save. Paul wrote, But those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. For the scriptures say, Cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. So it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scriptures say it is through faith that a righteous person has life. This way of faith is very different from the way of law, which says it is through obeying the law that a person has life. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law when he was hung on the cross. He took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing, for it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. And so rather than rule keeping, if you're following in your notes, the gospel is now, for it is by Grace that you have been saved. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And that verse ends, this is not from yourselves, it's a gift from God so that no one can boast. So that no one can look down on other people. So that no one creates in-groups and out-groups anymore. Jesus brought us near by destroying the wall of hostility. 
And as we move in to the, the last section of this scripture, Paul moves from what was abolished, having to follow the law perfectly, to what he created, what Jesus created in verse 15 to 18. You can follow along in your Bibles. His purpose, Jesus' purpose, was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached, peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. And so now, because Jesus removed the barrier, there's one new united humanity, the church. The church. Paul would write in Galatians also, there's no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In Colossians, he would write, in Christ there is not Greek or Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. If you're following in your notes, because of the cross, there are no more in-groups and out-groups. Because of the cross, there's no more in-groups and out-groups. The crosses where barriers were destroyed. And let, let me make two comments here about this. I believe they're important. Even though there's one new united humanity in the church, Paul does not tell us to forget our heritage. He does not tell us to forget the beautiful heritage of our families that have come to America from Germany or Italy or Poland or Mexico, from Africa, Haiti, or El Salvador. There are rich cultural traditions to be proud of, and they should be celebrated and remembered. So I pray you don't hear me say we should all just forget our uniqueness and become, you know, one common robot that thinks the same about everything. Don't forget your uniqueness. And I'm also saying don't minimize the importance of holding to personal convictions. Scripture is clear that we as Christ followers align our beliefs with the teachings of God rather than to conform to the ways of the world. But here's what we do, and it can be subtle. The problem comes when we subtly shift from appropriate conviction to sinful comparing in group versus outgroup. And what this passage confronts us with is this in-group, out-group impulse that exists in all of us. One author said this. I, I love this quote. He said, man-made distinctions of a black church or a white church or a yellow church are not acceptable to gospel-centered people. Let us be part of a red church a group of people from every tribe and tongue that has been redeemed by the torn apart Christ who spilled his red blood that we may be reconciled to God and to one another. If you're following in your notes, Jesus' dream for the church is to be a red church. It's his dream, and it's my hope and prayer for Cherry Hills that we will be a red church made up of brothers and sisters from every tongue and tribe and nation. And this red church exists because we've been reconciled to God. The word reconcile in verse 16, it's a beautiful word. It holds this idea of turning from hostility to friendship. And first and foremost, it's a, it's a movement from hostility to friendship between us and God. 
but it also means we're brought near to the people once considered so different than ourselves. And we're reconciled, as verse 17 and 18 tell us, that we might preach peace. Jesus brought peace. He preached peace while on the earth, and he's still preaching peace to the world today through the actions and words of his followers. And that's why, church, we have such an immense responsibility to be the salt and light of reconciliation and peace to an alienated world, both far away and to those who are near. Jesus wants to transform the way we think about others and the way we see others. And he wants our thinking to lead to living differently and treating people with respect. And this reconciliation begins in the church between brothers and sisters in Christ. It begins in the church and then it spills over into our community and into our world so that those who don't yet know Jesus might be brought in just like we've been brought in. The church now has this responsibility of living in such a distinct way, right? Transformed, not conformed, that other people notice we're looking like Jesus. And we're part of his movement to bring reconciliation and peace. We have the opportunity to share the life-giving message of Jesus. Because once Jesus gives us new life, we see people differently with love. He wants us to live as brought-in people, right? All us Gentiles, we're brought-in people, and he wants us brought-in people to bring people in to his family. So let's get practical. What, What does this look like in your life this week? The first thing I want to suggest to you, if you're following in your notes, Paul reminded us this, right? It's to remember. It's to remember, live with a continual awareness of who we used to be in Christ and who we are now. Remember the life change from dead to alive, from alienated to brought near. And we don't wallow in our past sinfulness. That, That is not what Jesus wants for us. He wants us to remember the change that has happened in our lives. And if we miss this step, and I miss this step every day, I mean, this is, this is why following Jesus is an everyday thing, because I do this every day. If we miss this step, we will do to others what the Jews did to the Gentiles. And we will put up a wall of hostility that people can't get through. We'll form in-group, out-group mentalities where we consider our in-group better than others, and it will lead to missed opportunities for people being brought in to the family of God. Remembering that I didn't deserve God's grace, yet he freely gave it to me. It reminds me that everybody needs a savior. Everybody's created in the image of God and that everyone I meet is a potential brother and sister in Christ. We all need a savior. And this remembering leads us to a humble posture. And that's why the second step that brought in people can take to bring people in is to humbly repent. It's to humbly repent. Repent is this churchy word that simply means to turn from, change our minds, and to agree with God about reality, agree with God about how he sees people. And in this step, I want to get very specific for you this week. Would you take time in prayer to name the in-groups and out-groups in your life? 
Would you name them? Name your in-groups. And right, we've said some of them, but gosh, I mean, there's hundreds of in-groups in all of our lives. I mean, it's church is an in-group. Small group is an in-group. Work is an in-group. You're a male or a female or a mom or a dad. I mean, there's, there's so many in-groups that we're part of. And name your out-groups. Who do you think less of? Who do you look down upon? Is it other denominations? Is it other religions? Is it Muslims? Is it the LGBTQ community? Is it the poor? Is it people with different skin color or ethnicity? Is it refugees? Name your outgroups. And as you think on these outgroups, the, the process of humbly repenting is considering have we practiced any explicit or implicit bias toward them? Have we practiced any explicit or implicit bias towards them? This is such a big step because if we miss this step, racism, division, and hostility won't be named, confronted, and rejected. And as we've already heard today, that's against the way of Jesus. If we want to become more like Jesus, we need to take this step of humbly repenting and just naming it. Just name it. Don't condemn yourself. God doesn't condemn you, but he can disinfect when we bring things to light. So if you struggle with an in-group, out-group mentality, spend time in prayer. Ask God to transform your mind. You will be praying God's will on this, and God will answer that prayer every time. He will answer that prayer to transform your mind to see people the way he sees people. And after we have remembered and humbly repented, the third step we can take as a brought-in people to bring other people in is to get proximate. It's to get proximate. If you are physically able, get proximate. As individuals and families, get proximate to people who are not like you. This is one of the best ways to learn to respect and love people by spending time with them. It's also a way to bring people into the family of God. But listen to me. If, even if we get next to people and get proximate to people and we love them and they never take the step into the family of God, we've loved them like Christ. It's not on us to convict and change people's minds. It's our job to express our faith and love. Parents, I want to speak with you for just a moment. If you're a parent in this room, talk to your children about race. Talk to them about in-groups and out-groups and talk to them about bullying. Bullying is what in-groups and out-groups lead to. Have the conversation that you have a zero-tolerance policy in your family for any form of racism or prejudice or discrimination. Studies reveal, almost without equivocation, that no influence is stronger in determining a child's attitude toward race than the attitude of the mom and dad. Nothing even comes close. If I thought about this, if I teach my boys to hate black people, they probably will too. If, I, if they hear me demean their mom and other women, and I don't always get this right, but if they hear me do that, it's likely they'll grow up to think they can do that to women. If I speak nasty words about those who are gay, my boys will probably grow up to make fun of gay people. You want to talk about a barrier of inviting people in. If I hate Muslims, my boys are probably going to grow up and do the same. 
Racism is a learned behavior, and it's mostly learned in families. But the good news is that reconciliation is a learned behavior, and it's also learned in families. And so we have this great opportunity to demonstrate that other people matter to us, and getting proximate to others gives us a greater respect that everyone we encounter is created in the image of God. Man, when I've been to China or Africa or downtown Springfield, I see that we have more in common than we have different when I surround myself with people not like me. It's a way to learn how to respect people and possibly bring people in. I was reading about a a service that happens in Chicago on Martin Luther King weekend last weekend uh, every year. And the pastor always says this. He says, don't simply decide not to be a racist or an ethnicist. That's setting the bar way, way, way too low. My challenge is for us to all get on the solution side of this grand challenge, to be so filled and refilled on a regular basis with the reconciling power and love of Christ that we take action. Because remember, uh, transformation of the mind leads to action. Let's not set the bar low. Let's be part of the solution on this. And so many in our church, you do this well. You do it better than I do it. I'm proud of you for leading by example. You invite people over for dinner that are different than you. You practice hospitality. You invite people to worship on Sundays. You seek justice. You display mercy for people not like you. You love the poor. You care for the orphans and foster children of every skin color. You do this well, and I'm thankful that you lead by example. But if you struggle to know how to get proximate, we've created a book. It was on your seat this morning. I want to invite you to take that book in your hands. I'm going to ask you actually not to open it, because what I always want to do is read it and see what's in there. You'll have time to do that after the service. But I just want us to hold something tangible in our hands together. If you are wondering how to get proximate, What you'll find in this book is a listing of our local ministry partners that let us know about their volunteer needs. And as you look through this, you will find opportunities to work with people who are not like you. You will find opportunities to spend time with the homeless, the hungry, single moms, high school and college students, women with at-risk pregnancies or women who are considering abortion, elementary kids at Enos, which when I met with Claudia two weeks ago, I said, Claudia, what's the rate of poverty at your school? She said, it's about 96%. I said, how many kids are on free lunch at your school? She said, 100%. I said, how many kids are at your school? She said, 315. I said, how many need mentors? She said, 315. That's an opportunity. You'll find opportunities to support foster and adoptive families. You may find yourself drawn to foster or adopt or provide respite for these families. You can read about that in this book. Some of you have a heart for refugees and immigrants, and you'll learn how you can join a team to support that group of people. And in addition to local serving opportunities, there's a card stock inside of that book which lists the mission trips for 2018. And God may be asking you to go internationally somewhere, or there's one to St. Louis to work with refugees, to rub shoulders with people who are different than you in a different context. I don't know what God's asking you to do. I I don't. But I know he wants us to be a brought-in people who bring people in. 
God has invited us into his family, right? We were alienated, excluded, and he brought us into his family so that we can invite others into his family. So today as we close, we're going to spend time practicing together this first step that brought in people practice, and it's remembering. This song allows us to remember who we were, what Christ did, and now who we are. And so I'm a big believer that we can do more than one thing at a time. So I want to encourage you, as we sing this song together and sing these beautiful words, can you also think about where Christ brought you from? That you were out. And he didn't do anything to earn it, but he brought you in to his family. And it would be God's dream that everyone would become a member of his family. So as we sing this, I want to encourage you to remember. Remember the goodness of God, what he's done in our lives. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.